It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. I'm your host, David, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris, on the other line from Memphis. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am well. I do want to tell everybody before we get started to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Digital Killed, the Radio Star Podcast. And you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, pretty much any place uh, where you can uh, find podcasts. So uh, if you listen to our podcast, you know Chris and I have very eclectic taste in music. We like to say all the time. We'll talk about Johnny Cash one episode and Megadeth the other episode. So, uh, whereas our last couple of um, podcasts have kind of been hard rock and heavy metal based, uh, this one is going to be a little bit different. And so, Chris actually set up our interview this week with our guest. So, I'm going to throw it to him and let him introduce him to everybody. All right, man. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I, I first became aware of our guest. This was, uh, I guess it was a couple years ago when I heard a song on it was a song he did with Ginger Wildheart on Little Steven's Underground Garage. And, you know, not long after that, I heard one of the solo songs, same channel, uh, Little Steven's Underground, one of my favorites. I think everybody listening to this knows that now. I talk about it all the time. But at this point, I did find myself becoming a fan. And after hearing his newest album, man, I got to say, I think this guy is, I think this guy is about to blow up. And I really, really hope that's the case for him because his music is just absolutely phenomenal. So, Great. It's my great pleasure to introduce our guest, Ryan Hamilton of Ryan Hamilton and the Harlequin Ghost. Welcome, Ryan. Oh, what a nice intro. I don't even know what to say. I feel like I should hug you. I feel like we just bonded on a whole awesome level. Well, I mean that, man. I really do. I'm, 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 Thank I'm you. a really big fan. Yeah, we, uh, we've... Um... We've been following you, and um, the the new album looks like it's uh, uh, performing really well. Before we get into that, uh, we always ask uh, our guests the same two first questions, Ryan. So, what is your earliest recollection of music, and who was your first favorite, let's say, favorite band or favorite artist? My earliest recollection, like as far as music and a really great memory, is probably riding around. And my, my dad had an old black Ford pickup truck, uh, no air conditioning. And I remember riding with the windows down and listening to, I think the name on the, t- on the album then was John Cougar Mellencamp. 
Scarecrow. And I knew every word to that record. And I was, you know, not that old, not to, not to date myself, but, um, yeah, so that, that's probably my earliest, like, falling in love with music. You know, it's a great memory. Uh, my dad's, you know, he's still here with us, and, and he's the best. But it's a great memory I have with my dad. Um, as far as the first kind of obsession, kind of like, I don't know if I want to say it out loud, but I will. It's probably New Kids on the Block, and my dad will <laughs> never let me forget it, I don't think. Uh. Uh, that's great. And I, somehow that one skipped, somehow that, I was fortunate enough for that one to skip me. Because we're probably, I guess we're, we may, this may be saying we're around the same age, but I've talked about it. I remember kids coming to class, like, guys, you know, classmates coming to class after a New Kids concert wearing a New Kids shirt. And I'm like, dude, come on. Dude, I know. And I was, it was like, I couldn't help it. The world had never seen, other than maybe the Beatles, like a boy band, you know, it was the, that was the first. And, you know, I, it didn't last long, but um, I mean that's that's probably just the most honest answer I could give. Unfortunately, that's the well, most we, honest I could give. we appreciate that. Well, tell us, <laughs> how did you first get into? How did you first start get into just making music and songwriting? That's a really interesting thing because I went to college on a golf scholarship. I had never played guitar, written songs, or anything like that. I, I always loved music and i've been obsessed is probably the most accurate word um with classic rock and the and the music that my parents listened to uh, my growing up it was always you know the beatles and um the rolling stones and uh classic rock radio and all of that um so i had that love for music but i had never really wanted to play a guitar or write music right songs so i went to college on a golf scholarship and the trainer at abilene christian university where i went to college um they got a heating pad too hot and when you play golf you have a lot of back problems it just kind of comes with it um but the trainer got a heating pad too hot and melted the skin off my back jeez it was terrible so um that ended <laughs> the golf career and that was a long recovery, and I don't know. I just woke up one day, and I got a really late start in this business. I mean, I was 20 years old before that happened, and I just it was strange because I woke up and just had this urge to go buy a guitar and learn, Like, and I did. I, I bought a, an acoustic guitar and an Eagles Easy Chord Learning book, like Teach Yourself How to Play Guitar by Learning Eagles Songs. Um, and, and that's how I got started. Well, Ryan, you just answered my next question I had for you. Uh, I had read that you didn't start playing guitar to the age of 20, so you, you answered that. But um, <laughs> how, how long did it take you before you realized, hey, this is something I kind of want to pursue? And, and more importantly, how long before you were in a just like a real functioning band after that? Um, it all happened really fast. I, my mom will tell this story. I called her one time. Uh, I'm going to get this a little bit wrong. I'm sure she'll listen to this and, and kill me. She listens to all of these, which is amazing. Um, she tells a story that she got a phone call and said, hey, uh, can you come to Abilene? I'm, I'm playing a show at a coffee house, right? And they didn't even know. I didn't even tell them that I had learned how to play guitar or anything. 
And this was a matter of, I don't know, probably six months. So uh, just a few months after I got a guitar for the first time and taught myself some songs, I was playing a show at a coffee house and my <laughs> my mom and dad showed up and they, they didn't know what was going on just because it had never been discussed. I think I was nervous. I didn't want to um, get anybody too excited because I, it was territory for me. So... Um, I don't think I'd written any songs. I think it was all covers at that point. And then after that, that first coffee house show in Abilene, Texas, you, uh, most people will tell you, you get that first kind of good <laughs> audience reception and you, you feel that coming back at you. It's, it's like it's better than any drug ever i think just that like oh my god okay that feels amazing i want more of that um and that is what kind of led me down well i'm gonna write my own songs um so i would say probably a year maybe a little less after i originally started playing at the coffee houses in abilene i had a college band and then we had a song on the radio um just from the demo that we recorded before we ever played a show. All right, so you're from Texas, uh, and Texas yeah. has a long history of you know singer songwriter, especially kind of in the, the country western genre. Were were you influenced by any of those guys, like maybe Towns Van Zandt or, or some of those guys, or was it yours more? Uh, not necessarily people from from Texas. I wouldn't say. Ne- yeah, not really people from Texas, but when you are from Texas, you know all of these country songs because you're surrounded by it all the time. Um, I laugh all the time because I'll be even in the grocery store or whatever, and you know some country song will come on, and I'll know every word, and I've never bought the record. But, and it's just because it's everywhere you go. So you know these songs, and I love those songs, um, especially some of the old school stuff, some of the older Willie Nelson, um, even like Hank Williams Jr. And that um, late 80s, early 90s, like Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson. Uh, I really enjoy it, but um, I think, to answer your question in the longest way possible, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, yes, I was influenced by country music, but on a weird kind of subconscious level. Just because of where I'm from, you know. I I, I could I can totally relate. Uh, and you can tell by my accent I'm from Mississippi, but I do I do not I'm not a country music fan. I'm like the only person from Mississippi that doesn't hunt and uh, doesn't really like. <laughs> you know, I don't like what passes for country music now. The artist that you oh, mentioned, God. the artist that you mentioned, yes, I, I I can listen to that and it's fine. But uh, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I'm the same let me, uh, I'll quote one of my heroes, Tom Petty. Tom Petty, may he rest in peace, said, New country is like bad rock with a fiddle. <laughs> That's right. He did say that. He did say that. And oh, my God. Glad to hear you're. That is uh, so true. Yeah. <laughs> glad to hear you're. A lot of times, too. I'm sorry, man. I was yeah. going to say, a lot of times, too, I, I look at it as like in sync with a fiddle. It's what I've said before. <laughs> you know, the stuff you're hearing on the radio now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, glad to hear you're a big Petty fan. Uh, Chris and I are too. Actually, we saw him in Memphis on on the last tour a couple of months before he died, and I had never seen him before. It was he was like one of my last three or four bands that I never had seen, and I got to check that off. And 
Um, I've talked about it on here before. I think his death, as far as like musicians' death, affected me more than anybody else. I'm the same, and you know Bowie being a close second. But the Tom Petty thing was so shocking. It was. Tom had this really cool thing where, um, without getting into it too deep, it, he felt like family. He felt like this thing that could never go away. David Bowie was kind of this alien, you know, this whole other celebrity thing. Tom Petty had this very relatable, he was just kind of this constant, um, kind of like that musician that everybody could agree on. You know what I mean? So uh, I was the same. I, it really floored me. It still upsets me. Uh, I agree. It was it was devastating. Well, hey, we're going to, just an effort of time, we'll, I'm going to skip through a couple of these. I'm just going to get to... I guess my when I first started really started listening to music, it was you know the Devils in the Detail, which I you know thought was a great record, you know, and you know I'm kind of mentioned in the intro, but what really hooked me to your music was Capital Spirits. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah man, I just love that, and I, I really when I think about it, it's probably in the last year or so been one of my more listened to records, and and uh, Dave will tell you, I mean just like he is, we're absolute music nuts, but. I always find myself going back to it and just think it's such a such a great live album. It, Thanks, yeah, man. It makes yeah appreciate yeah no problem. So, but we're but being recorded in London. That's um perfect little segue. And you kind of talking about you before we got started that you've been doing some press in the UK. So I, your band is from the UK. It seems that through exchanges with your manager, I believe he's over there. So <laughs> there's. Something going on across the, across the pond, and I guess my question would be: Is why do you think you've achieved more early success in the UK than the US? And has it been frustrating? I mean, I know you're appreciative, but frustrating to find the success, more success there before you do in your in your homeland. Yeah, um, it's frustrating on the like. I want my friends and family. Uh, I did fly my parents to England a couple of tours ago just so they could see it all because I mean, you tell your mom and dad, I'm huge in England. I swear they just kind of <laughs> look at you. But so I did get to bring them over so they could experience it. Um, it's frustrating on that level, but that's a very minimal frustration because a lot of my heroes, Petty being one of them and Hendrix and Bob Dylan and, you know, they all broke in the UK first. So for me, I guess I do have that conversation with myself. Like I'm kind of following in my hero's footsteps, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, I was saying more recent would be too. Kings of Leon. Exactly. I remember hearing them. Like they were huge in London. When I was there, and they were playing them everywhere. And they, man, they weren't. They weren't even on. Sex, Sex is on Fire was not even on the radio yet. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. I mean, we're on radio all across England. We just got a radio report for. Uh, Mama Sita, and this is the sound the song is about to go. And we're on like 110 stations across the UK, and real, you know, like highly listened to legit stations. And over here, I know we're on Sirius XM, and I'm super thankful, but whenever you put the two countries up next to each other, it's nuts how much more is happening in England. I don't know if you guys have seen, but they. They're selling out of our CD and record stores over there as soon as they get new ones in, and then they reorder it, and those sell out. So we can't even keep... It's the best, dude. I'm so thankful, and it's really exciting. 
But to your point, it couldn't be more different here at home. You know, like it's I don't even there's maybe one record store in America that asked <laughs> for that record. Like, OK, people will buy it online. But, um, you know, and one maybe it, there's probably more than one, but it's not what it is in England for sure. Well, Ryan, I, I wanted to ask you, your um, your former band was known as Ryan Hamilton and the Traders, and now it's Ryan Hamilton and the Harlequin Ghost. Is it a completely new band, or do you just decide to change the name? It's all the same people. Um, we just decided to change the name. I wanted something weird and really hard to pronounce, and <laughs> <laughs> something something that we could define that didn't have any you know weird you know, accidentally political connections or, you know, um, yeah, it's the same people. We, we just, with this kind of new chapter, and um, Stevie Van Zandt actually gave us that name. We were going back and forth with some lists and some ideas, and he threw that out at us. And it's just so weird and different, and I love the way I just loved it. I love the idea behind it. And who gets to say that Stevie Van Zandt named their band? You know, <laughs> I mean that that is the king of cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, you can't argue with that. Well, listen, we want to be respectful of your time, and we want to get to the new album. So the uh, the lead single is Mama Sita, and and little Steven helped you write that, correct? That is correct. And guys, just so no pressure. I yeah. um, I just saw a message come through. I got I got a little more time than I thought. Okay. So, uh, okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the new single is Mama Sita. Um, that was the first single, and I sent what I thought was a finished demo. Stevie sent back, a, and I have a collection of these that I cherish. A voice memo from his phone, where you hear him pick up an acoustic, figure out the song I slaved over in about twenty seconds. And he plays, he goes, okay, yeah, I got it. It needs something like this. And then he starts singing, Mama Sita, you know, and that became the chorus of the song, that voice memo from Stevie. So it was, uh, I call it an accidental co-write. <laughs> that would blow my mind, man. I am, I am a Bruce nut. I mean, yeah, like, like he talks, like, like, David said in an intro, the stuff we talk about, man, I love everything from Bruce and I'm, I'm a huge Slayer fan. I like all of this stuff, but Springsteen, man, I've been a fan for so long. And so to have that connection, little Steven, all the stuff he's worked with on East Street, that last record he did with mm -hmm. I mean, my God, that St. Valentine's Day. I can't get enough of that song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just such a, such a great musician, great songwriter. So did he, I guess what I would say ask is how did that relationship start with him? Because he's obviously got you on for coolest song in the world of what at least what three times I would think. It's, I know it's been a lot. He has co-wrote with you. You're on mm -hmm. his label. I mean, where mm -hmm. did that connection come from? I mean, it's got to feel incredible that he's not just signed you, but he's obviously really working. He's, I mean, he's he's a big believer. Yeah, it it came from England. It came from through getting you know, big over there. We're not huge yet. We're headed in that direction. But um, the support of Ginger Wildheart and that song we did together um, and just kind of that buzz over in the UK. Uh, after Stevie heard the song I did with Ginger, I won't say it because I don't know what the rules are here. We don't uh, have rules. We don't have rules. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the song is called Fuck You Brain. And... <laughs> 
that song that song did great we donated all the sales from that to charity to, for mental health awareness and we raised i don't remember what it was forty thousand pounds or something so um stevie heard that did a little digging about me and my story and um added half of the devils in the detail to the rotation on his radio station and when that happened i thought somebody was messing with me i was like what so i got this email that said just so you know stevie's added half your record to his radio station and i was basically going who is this stop messing with me <laughs> and it was a guy named dennis who uh, is is the program director for little steven's underground garage and um that's how it started he you know and credit to him this guy seemingly unknown especially in in this country for now um he just was like i don't care add six songs <laughs> wow yeah well hey ryan one of the things we wanted to ask you about since you're um uh newer to the to the business we sometimes get off on tangents here about the music industry right now and um you know we're both proponents of buying physical product and uh if if nothing more you you have it in your hands you can look at it you know and and you've actually bought it you have some ownership in it and I, i i can go on and on about albums that i've bought when I was younger and broke, uh, and I, I couldn't give up listening on them cause I'd spent 15 hard earned dollars on them, you know, and eventually right. grew to love them. But with the way streaming and social media is now, um, it, it kind of seems that that hurts the, like the, the legacy type artist. I think, you know, like maybe the stones or whatever, cause they're not selling as many albums. But then when you're trying to get noticed, I mean, anybody with a computer can, can be noticed and, and get their name out there What's your take on that as far as like the availability of things to stream uh, oftentimes for free for artists like yourself that are growing? Do you see that? I, I would think you see that as a plus, but just kind of your feelings on that. Yeah, so I'm what most people as far as music is concerned and buying it and listening to it. I think most people consider me a purist because I want to buy the album. I want to do exactly what you're talking about. But the flip side of that coin is if you don't use all the tools that are now available to artists, you're going to get left behind. And you can't really DIY style, let's get in the van and go play a bunch of shows and sell CDs, you know, every night. If you do that, okay, maybe one in a million has that cool story that used to happen all the time. But if you think about it, that hasn't really happened in a long time. It's always some something online, right? Some right. video, some single, some whatever. Um, something goes viral. Somebody covers somebody else online. And um, it's tough because... So Facebook has made some changes. What do I need to know? So our posts reach as many people as possible. Um, t- stupid stuff like that. But you got you have to. And if you don't, like I said, you're going to kind of get left behind. And as, as much as I want to make sure I know, and as much as I want to, for lack of a better explanation, win, <laughs> um, it's, it makes me sad at the same time because I want it to be 1970. 
You know, I want it to be the pure joy of going to a concert and not having a cell phone in your pocket or going to the record store and, and buying it and getting excited. And you can't even listen to it until you get home, you know, and I wasn't even alive in 1970. I just, I just, I have this vision of like what it was compared to what it is now. And Stevie's actually a great guy to talk to about this and he has incredible insight. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting, right? Because everyone can see the good and the bad. And it's, um, it's exciting because everything's so possible, but it also, like I said, it makes me sad at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can relate. I mean, I miss, I miss going, like as a kid, you think about all those times going into the record store, and they, they knew you. They knew who you were. You know, when you're big, mm-hmm. I mean, I was a 15-year-old kid, and they knew who I was. You know, because I was in there all the time. Every bit of my money that I got from an allowance, it was going to music. I was the same, yeah. Yeah, so I I missed that part of it. But it seems like now the model, I guess, kind of what David was saying, it seems like the model that has now, even though we we missed that and the nostalgia aspect of it, it seems like the model may be a little bit to the advantage of up-and-coming artists who's, there's more ways to get the music out. But And then it seems like, too, that you have to rely on being road warriors. You know, I think of bands like I said, I'm mean, talking to you right now in Memphis, Tennessee. I think of bands like Lucero, a more current mm. example, American Aquarium. You know, those guys mm. just tore relentlessly. And I mean, I've been, I've seen American Aquarium played about 10 people. Top. Yeah. And now they're selling out venues. So right. I guess to that, I would say, what's, what is, what's been your philosophy with touring? Well, the rest, I'm the only American in my band. So the rest of my band lives in England. And I, um, I mean, I'm in Texas. I, I split a lot of my time between the UK and here because that's where my band is. But, um, I mean, that makes being, quote, road warriors pretty much impossible because we, we're not going to get together and, you know, there's a lot of coordinating that has to go into travel and whatever. And I don't want to be one of those guys that's just like, I'm that guy, and you never know who's going to be the band behind me. Like, I, our band feels like a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood, I should say, because Carol is, is in our band. But um, I like that kind of gang in a good way, like biker gang mentality that a band has when everybody gets really close and you, you play better. But... Um, the road warrior thing, maybe if we all lived in the same country, but for us, we just kind of, we get together right before a tour, we rehearse for a couple of days, and then we go to it, and then that's it, till the next time we have a tour booked. Okay. Well, kind of, <laughs> I guess, kind of, and we're, we're talking now about the, the, the music business, all that, we're kind of going all over the map here, so let's, let's before we kind of wrap up, let's get back to the new record. Uh, okay. It came out just last friday so the 31st new record came out uh if you could just tell tell the listeners a little bit about well first of all i, I didn't get this out yeah i told you that t- i when i first contacted you i said that this was one of my most anticipated records of 2019 and that wasn't mm-hmm. that wasn't any bullshit i mean that really wasn't I've had a lot of, <laughs> thank I've, you I've, I've had a lot of, i've had a lot of I, th- I think david has too but i've had a lot of disappointment so far in 19 mm. um but this is not one of them. And uh, I will tell you, God's honest truth, this is one of those records. I think this is the sound is one that 
I at right now we're about the halfway point as I would say easily in a contender for album of the year for me. So I guess people that are unfamiliar that are listening, if you could just tell us a little bit about about the record, what they might hear. Yeah, I mean, I come from, like we talked about earlier, the South and Texas and, you know, grew up listening to classic rock and loving it. And um, my British band all come from kind of the heavier rock UK scene of the early 90s and... um, some really terrible metal that I can't stand like uh, some hair metal stuff that I'm just like, please don't put any more trickster on when we travel. (laughs) I can't stand it. Turn it off. Um, Warrant. Oh my God. Don't get me started. Anyway, that combined with the way I grew up and the music that I love it shouldn't work, I don't think, but that's what makes our band sound the way it does. And I think um, I made one solo record five or six years ago that was really an experiment, just to see. And then um, we got this band together, and we made The Devils in the Detail, and that was our first time in the studio together. So when I hear that record, I can hear us trying to figure out that balance and how we're going to sound. Um, some songs lean a little more country, and then other songs lean a little more trickster (laughs) but but now we you know after years of of working it out and touring and you know having success we know how we sound um that's why the record is called what it is and you know this album is kind of the the first this is this band you know um and we just kind of with all humbleness intact, we figured it out. I don't really know how it happened, but this band figured out what it was going to be during the making of this record. And to have that confidence um, was really kind of surprising to all of us, I think, because we all kind of went, whoa, what? okay, this feels special. This um, Everything was really easy in the studio. Stevie really kicked my ass on the songs before we went into the studio, um, which was great because I felt really determined and really like this is the best group of songs um, I've ever had to go into the studio with. And I just think that this record is kind of classic and current at the same time, if that makes any sense at all. It takes all of my what I grew up with and my band grew up with and somehow, maybe it's Dave Draper, maybe it's Stevie Van Zant. Dave Draper produced the record. Um, however it all came together, it sounds new and old. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Uh, absolutely. And I, I don't know why I'm just... I don't know why I'm just thinking of this. I don't know why this just kind of popped into my head. But it's all, I hear the newness, and I, this band's not necessarily that new, but maybe even taking something like The Strokes and Tom Petty. I mean, and I, I absolutely hear the Tom Petty in you for sure. I think when you're from the South, you guys will relate to this. Also, does somebody just open a beer? Because I'm jealous. <laughs> oh, actually, it's my chair cracking. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe that was a beer. I was like, let's have one. This interview is going to be three hours. Um, the Tom Petty thing, and you guys, like I said, you'll relate to this. When you're from the South, there's a certain kind of, and I, I'll, I feel myself, sinking into like matthew mcconaughey mode i have to be careful but you kind of 
um, you get that whiny kind of southern draw that it just doesn't happen anywhere else. And you know, Tom Petty's from Gainesville, so he had it and he was born with it. And I think that he he kind of uh, Full Moon Fever for sure, but you know, the hits that were on the radio before that. Uh, when I started singing and I felt like my voice is whiny and then I heard a Tom Petty song come on, which I already loved, it made me feel like the way I sang was okay. Well, I mean, he, he had that uh, he had that effect on people. I've, you know, I've heard him talk about his accent and, you know, how he had to, be, you know, become comfortable with it. And then, you know, I think one of his greatest songs he's ever written, a top five song, is Southern Accent. Um, Damn straight. Which is just amazing. Well, listen, Ryan, uh, we close out every guest with uh, giving them five rapid-fire questions where we're going to ask you some qu- five questions, and you just tell us exactly what pops in your mind. But before we do that, I want to tell everybody uh, to follow Ryan. He is on Twitter at the Ryan Hamilton, and the new album by his band, Ryan Hamilton and the Harlequin Ghost, is called This Is The Sound. Uh, we highly, both Chris and I both recommend this album. Uh, if you've you trusted us in the past on things, trust us on this one. You will not be disappointed. So, Ryan, your favorite album by another artist? Ooh, I'm gonna go Tom Petty Wildflowers. Ah, good one. Uh, you, yeah, you, David loves that answer for sure. Favorite <laughs> band? I think this may be the same person, but favorite band? Favorite band? I'm gonna say Tom Petty Good and the Heartbreakers. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. What is what is the your favorite song that you've written? This is the sound. Awesome. That's a nice. That's a nice one there. Song that you wish you had written. Ooh. Um. Tiny Dancer. <laughs> Which, hey, by the way, I did notice the the on your again we bought my physical products on the sticker. A sticker on your album, a quote by Adam Durrett saying that basically he wished he had written This Is The Sound. It's true. My God. That's got to blow your mind. Anyway, I did. Alright, the final question, and I kind of know where this one may, I kind of have an idea where this one may be going to. If you could be in any other band, what band would it be? Trickster. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. All right. Listen, Ryan, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to uh, talk to you. We have both uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. We wish you nothing but success and, and, and bring that success back across the pond where it would be easier for people like us to see you. And uh, we would love it. Anytime you want to come on and just talk about music, we have you on. We'll talk about the Wildflowers album if you want to. Um, we just, we're, we're just very thankful that you gave us uh, some time. We know you have another interview scheduled. And uh, just thank you so much for uh, coming on our podcast. Absolutely, thanks, man. And uh, if you, you guys t- have been great. And and Ryan, if you hold on just for one second, and we'll uh, we're gonna tell everybody that uh, we'll be back next week. And uh, thanks for listening. And take care.